one of my earliest childhood memories. This should say something to all you psychologist people out there. Uh, Friday night, we had our family night, and I don't, don't know how old, old exactly I, I was, but I know that my parents let us stay up, uh, and as a family, we popped popcorn, and we got in front of the TV, and we watched Creature Features, you know, Tales of the Crypt. And every Friday night, it was Creature of the Black Lagoon, or Frankenstein, or The Mummy, and it was just, you know, those black and white wonders. Um, it's not amazing to me then that it wasn't shortly after that that I started having a lot of trouble sleeping as a little boy. Uh, I wasn't really afraid of monsters in my closet or monsters under my bed, but I was afraid of monsters in my head because I knew as soon as I went to sleep, the monsters would wake up and my dreams were just filled with these things. I mean, horrific nightmares, just screaming in, in the middle of the night. I would lay there trying to stay awake and trying to get, trying to stay awake because I knew that the monsters were going to get me in my dreams. Didn't want to go down that road. Uh, it was, it was just a very scary thing. Monsters do that. You know, they, they've ruined your sleep, by the way. <laughs> they, they ruin your enjoyment. Um, monsters, if you think through all the scary movies you know of, whether it's Freddy or whoever, they, they, they're unpredictable. They just kind of pop out of places. And, ah, and they, 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 you can't uh, know where they're coming from. Monsters create chaos, don't they? I mean, it's the same type of story wherever you go. There's a peaceful town or a peaceful retreat or a peaceful this, that, and the other thing, and everyone's having fun, but a monster shows up of some sort and wreaks havoc. And now people are locking their doors and they're looking behind their backs. And they used to be enjoying. They're not enjoying anymore. It's just survival is the, is the name of the game. Monsters are, are, are scary. Monsters do not have mercy or, or grace. You know, monsters are set on hurting you. And they can. I watched it in movies. I know what these things can do. It's not, it's not good. Uh, my, one of my favorite monsters, if there's such a thing, uh, Dracula. Count Dracula. You know, I, I, I enjoyed the vampires, but they were my scariest on this reason. Um, vampires, if you don't know, are really, uh, folklore says they are uh, corpses that come alive at night. They, at day, night, they leave their graves and they prey on other people and they have to suck their blood and hurt other people so that they might continue on. Uh, but this is why vampires are the scariest, I think. Uh, when you see the creature of the Black Lagoon coming, I mean, he's, you, can, you can see him coming. I mean, he knows disguising the creature of the Black Lagoon. I don't know how you dress him up. He's going to look pretty hideous. The mummy, uh, he's pretty slow. You can outrun the mummy. Uh, vampires, you know, they look normal. And Count Dracula actually was affluent and sophisticated and well-respected. Uh, vampires don't have, you know, big claws, and, and they don't have weapons, and they don't have a, a super uh, hero type power. You know, they're not turning invisible, or they have bulletproof vests, and, and there's nothing. Vampires look normal, but when they open their mouth, right, that's where the damage comes. That's where, where the, the pain happens. That's where the destruction happens. You know, I remember uh, waking up in the middle of the night multiple times just screaming, Ah! And my dad, Son, those monsters aren't real. There's no monsters. Monsters are all in your head, son. And I thought, you know, he's getting it back because he's the one to introduce me to these creature features. Serves him right a little bit. Ruin his sleep, too. And I, I bought that for a while, that monsters don't exist. And then I got a little bit older, 
And I realized in that point, my dad was very, very, very wrong. Monsters do exist. Uh, They exist in church. Uh, They exist uh, in here. Uh, the very, very scary vampire Christians. You know, there, there's, there's such a, a thing, I believe. Uh, they can look well-respected, nice, kind, but with their mouth, they can do incredible, incredible damage. They, they, they look godly, but their mouth does the bidding of hell. Vampire Christians, I, I, I wish to say that they're not uh, around, but I, I, that they're just myth and folklore. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. They do incredible damage. Some damage. Maybe you've been bit by one in the past. You know the hurt. We all know of people who aren't in church anymore or walking with Christ anymore because they've been bit by such a person. Uh, Anne Rice. That name may not mean anything to you unless you follow vampire writing. Anne Rice in 1998. Uh, said that she was done. She shocked the publishing world by saying she was done writing uh, vampire novels. She was finished. And she's actually the one that's kind of uh, credited with starting this whole vampire craze, you know, the Twilight uh, series. And she, she wrote an interview with a, a vampire, turned into a movie with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and, and uh, the True Blood and the originals. And uh, She's the one that started this whole thing. But she said in 1998, I'm done writing vampire stories. I'm finished. And this was the reason. Because, she said, my life now is committed to Christ the Lord. My books will be a reflection of that commitment. Well, her, her fans pushed, you know, well, come on, give us more vampire books. Well, she, she started, she kept writing, but she wrote several books on the life of Christ, novelizations from uh, the book of, of Luke. Uh, she said this, she said, is, when people were pushing on her, she said, is Christ our Lord not the ultimate supernatural hero, the ultimate outsider, the ultimate immortal of them all? And then in 2010, Anne Rice surprised everybody again by putting this on her Facebook page. 2010, she said, Today, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or being any part of Christianity. There are several things, I think, that go into all this. There's political issues and on... But looking around the corner of her words, you wonder if the great vampire author was not bitten by some vampire Christians. I know my dad, when he left the church in his latter years, that was one of the larger pieces of that puzzle. He was bit by some vampire Christians in our our church, and it uh, poisoned him, uh, almost destroyed his faith, if not... Um, vampire Christians can be deadly. Now, as we do this, this, this series on monsters, now this is the deal. We don't want to be going, let me see, who do I know vampire Christians? Yep, 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 yep. No, no, no. we want not to look out, we want to look in. Because reality is, you and I can be um, vampire Christians. And so as we look through the different monsters that may lurk in our heart, one of our goals of this series is to claim our hearts as in the halls of the church as monster-free zones. It's not going to be the case here. It's not going to be the case here. And so I'm looking forward as we get into this, as we start examining how we're going to do this, what it's going to uh, look like. Now, a problem with this whole idea of um, your mouth not working well 
is in the church, often uh, these folk who have the vampire mouth, vampire Christians, are lauded as heroes. Uh, they, 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 are, they are the people who are courageous enough to just tell it like it is. You know what I mean? These are the, the folk who, who will share their mind. is what everyone else is thinking. But they're not afraid. They're, and it usually will be prefaced this way. I just need to be honest. And I'm going to be honest. If that's okay with you, I'm going to be honest and just share my mind. It's what's, I'm just going to be honest. It's what's going on. I'm going to share. I'm going to be honest. To which we should say, by all means, please be honest. That's right. If you have the mind of Christ, who, 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 though he was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself to serve other people. If you have a mind that is selfless, a mind that is in love with those people that are, are there, if, if you have uh, thoughts that think his thoughts you, you have a selfless love in your heart that epitomizes Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Yes, please be honest and share because we all need that. But do not be honest. Do not share your mind if your mind is a gra- graveyard of depravity. If, it, if it's soaked with self-righteousness and judgmentalism and self-absorbed, if it stinks like the rottenness of hell, please don't be honest and share those garbage, toxic thoughts. Keep them inside. Don't put words to those. Because that's not being honest. That's, that's godlessness, right? We don't want to go down that road. Now, there's a lot of, of things. Now, again, this is, this is not... This is, we can start... By looking inside. And there's a lot of ways we use our mouth in this regard, right? Everything from profanity, taking the Lord's name, and vain lying, and, and all kinds of stuff. But what we want to focus on this morning is, I think, perhaps the most fatal bite, and that is gossip. Gossip. I mean, it almost sounds like, it sounds like Gollum, you know, my precious gossip. Gossip. It sounds bad, doesn't it? Uh, uh. Gossip is, there's lots of definitions, but they all kind of fit around this. Uh, gossip is sharing negative things uh, about, whether true or untrue, about another in their absence, because we don't share this kind of stuff to people's face, uh, out of a bad heart. Now, the, the bad heart thing, that's, that's important because motivation is so much of this. Is talking, always talking negative about someone gossip? No, you're subpoenaed, you have to go to court, you've got to testify about someone, you're going to share some stuff in reality that is just not going to put this person in a good light. Is this gossip? No, it's not lot gossip. You're at work and the boss and the supervisor are talking about an employee who's really messing up. Is this gossip? No, no, it's, it's, it's the motivation. But generally speaking, okay, of course we're all going to say, well, that's me, man, mine's never bad. Now, generally speaking, this is the principle we get out of God's word. Okay, and I need you to repeat after me, okay? The absent are safe with me. One more time. The absent are safe with me. With me. Ah, that's, that's the principle. You know, they, they, they tell us that the uh, average adult is involved in 30-plus conversations daily on the average. And that if you took all of the words that are said, that would, they would fill 66 volumes of 800 pages annually. 
And research tells us that 60% of that, 60% of our conversations deal with people who are not there. Much of it in passing judgment. So vampires, very, very real. Very real. Lots of destruction going out. And the, the idea of, of uh, just sharing truth, just making it be known, just letting it happen. Now we want to ask ourselves, why in the world do we gossip? Let me mention this. Because some people say that gossiping actually is a good thing. You know, the world says it's Dr. Um, Robin Dunbar anthropologist, she says, gossip is a vital evolutionary factor in the development of our brains. Language came about because of our need to spread gossip. So gossip makes you a better person. So go for it. Just don't gossip about me, but go for it. You know, okay, it makes us better people. It's beneficial. Uh, Dr. Helen Fisher, who's biological, she's a biological anthropologist. She's a member of the um, Center for Human... uh, Human Evolutionary Progress Out of Rutgers, Department of Anthropology, she says this. She says, when we hear gossip, our brain responds to the novelty of it in the same way it might to any new and exciting experience. Levels of the brain chemical dopamine spike. With that surge of dopamine come feelings of energy and enthusiasm. So uh, gossip... It's uplifting. It's like you're feeling down. I tell you what, gossip, and then you're going to feel better because the dopamine gets rolling and you just feel it. It feels fine, does it? Now, Scripture on one level agrees with this. Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a gossip are choice morsels. It tastes good. Uh, you know, we, we, who would listen to gossip if it was, if it was bad, right? It tastes good. It, it, it's like uh, uh, Nestle's Toll House cookies coming out of the oven where the chocolate is still gooey. It's like eating a big piece of, of Chicago uh, stuffed pizza. It, it's like a filet from St. Paul's or Longhorn or wherever you're at. Um, it tastes, it just tastes good. It, it, there's something about it, some twisted thing about it. When someone says, hey, have you heard? We're all ears because it tastes good. But... The morsels go down to the innermost parts. In other words, it's not just something that gets in our ears. It goes way down. You know, in vampire lore, when a vampire bit you, guess what? After you died, you became a vampire. When someone bites you with that juicy tidbit, you know what? If it's really juicy, you just got to share it, don't you? I mean, you, whoa, I don't know if I can sit on this one. Whoa, man, this is a you. Whoa, we become it. It, it, it takes over. It kind of controls us. And that's what Scripture lets us know. Now, what we want to get an idea on this morning is what really is God's view of, of, of gossip. And Scripture talks a ton about it. It amazes me how much Scripture talks about this. God must know that we might have an issue with this, that we got a vampire thing lurking inside. So Leviticus 19. And we can go a lot of places, and we'll go to some of them. But do not go about spreading slander among your people. There's a family of words, slander, whisperer, gossip, uh, talebearer, if you've got the King James. Uh, they all are speaking of the, the same thing. Now, let me, let me ask this of you. You're going to verbally paint a picture, tell us, describe 
the person who is so far from God. Think for a minute. How would you describe somebody who is so far from Christ? They are just as depraved as you're going to get. How would you describe them? This is how the Apostle Paul describes them in Romans 1. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. It's like gossip is this, the, the, the cherry on the deal. We, we, we think that uh, when we gossip, it's not that bad. Well, God links it in the same category as murder. I think we have to stop and, and look at that. Say, what is that? God is going to paint the worst depravity that can be somebody who is gossiping. That means this. When we gossip, we are either really not a believer, but, you know, pretending to be, we look at it, or we're a believer who's living like we're not. Um, let me kind of get offline for just a second, but, but, but stay with me and follow me. Second Corinthians 3.18. We all, Paul says, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, are being transformed into his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, right above this, what Paul's doing is he's talking about a story from the Old Testament. You remember this, right? Where Moses goes up on the mountain to hang out with God. And he's talking with God. He comes down and he doesn't know it, but his face is reflecting the glory of God. And the people are kind of, whoa, Moses. So Moses puts a veil over his face. And he does it for two reasons. A, so people can not be blinded. But B, because he knew that glory was fading and he didn't want the people to know that that glory was fading. He wanted them to think that he was always shining like that with God. And so Paul, after he tells that story, he says that we, believers, with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We see the Lord. We're hanging out with him. We are being transformed into his image with everlasting glory. When you come to know Christ... You are transformed. Salvation is not a process. Now, it may be a process getting you to that point, but it's an event. Whereas one moment you're dead, and then biblically, the Bible says the next moment you are alive. It says that once you come to know Christ, old things are passed away, all things have become new. At that point, you're set free from your sin. At that point, you've been adopted into his kingdom. You're not slowly adopted. You are adopted suddenly into his kingdom. You're a child of God. All things are new. You have been transformed. Have been transformed. Positionally. It's a legal thing. Spiritually, it says you're justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. I'm clean. I'm I'm transformed. But practically speaking, my words and my actions and my thoughts and my values and my understandings, well, those are being transformed as I spend time with him. And I wonder about the church, not just me, the, the church. Are we so happy with the fact that we've been transformed We don't even give a rip about this being transformed thing. This stuff is hard. We're not interested in this. We're just going to rest in our having been transformed. And just so we know, Scripture does not know too much about somebody who thinks that. Those who have been transformed are being transformed. They're seeking Him. We gave God our eternity. We gave God our, our souls. We also need to give Him our mouths. 
is the deal. And, and, and look, have them transformed as well. So that's the goal with that. That's what the, the transformation looks like. So why do we gossip? We understand it. We know this. Okay, that's good. Gossip's not good. We got it. God said don't do it. He, he says it's a sign of, of, of unregenerate life. Got it down. I want to be transformed. But we do it anyway. Why do we do it? Uh, several reasons. One is busybodies. You've heard of the busybodies? We're not going to ask you if you know any of them. We're looking inside, not looking outside right now. Uh, Busybodies are people who, maybe they don't hate other people, uh, but they made other people's business their business. They live to know. Well, they would just say they're curious. The rest of us would say they're nosy. And they, they just they just want to, to know. Their, their job is to find out and to decipher and to determine and to interpret and to try to figure out. And maybe they'll share it, maybe not. But they're just so involved with trying to figure out other people. And I, I, would, I would say there are drug addicts who are addicted to their drug. And so they've got to have their drug. There are porn addicts who are addicted to porn. They've got to go back to porn. They know it's not right, but they're going to go back anyway. There are gossip addicts. And perhaps you'd say, oh, maybe I fit in this category. Uh, who are addicted, I would say, recognizing that it is sin, it dishonors God. It's not the sign of a believer. It's time to start taking steps to, to, cut, that, to cut that out. Busybodies are a reason. Also, insecurity. There's a uh, episode in the the Simpsons. You should not watch the show, but uh, but uh, <laughs> Homer Simpson finds out some scuttlebutt on his neighbor Flanders, and of course he's going to share it because you know Homer's not the ep- epitome of godliness or anything. But but so he's in his rationalization. He says this. He says, uh, of course he's going to share it. He says it'll make me feel important without being drunk. That'll be weird. Um, Gossip makes us feel important. When you know something, is this right, that nobody else knows, you feel special. When, you, when you're able to share something that other people are going, why? why? And they're kind of leaning into you. You're suddenly important. It's amazing to me that some folk uh, will, will derive their identity, not from being in Christ, but from, from this. It's kind of a, a twisted sort of thing. Sometimes... We derive our identity there because of this insecurity thing. We're afraid. We're just hanging with people. We're talking. We're having a good time. And all of a sudden, the conversation turns towards somebody. You've been a part of this. It just comes out of the blue. And you know, maybe I shouldn't be going down this road. shouldn't be talking about but everyone else is. And if you try to stop them, you're going to look like an idiot. And if you don't contribute a little bit, you're going to be rejected. And you can't have that. And so... Your insecurity, you kind of go along and maybe even share and you're a part of it. and It's an insecurity. Some people will gossip just out of spite. I don't think they necessarily are. Maybe these are the folk who don't have the, the bad self-image. They think everybody's an idiot. They think everyone is a fool and their job is just to make fun of them. And so they enjoy introducing chaos in everyone's life. They're just mean people, just mean people. Other folk may gossip out of jealousy or envy. I, I have no problem with this person, even the, the dirt they might do. It's fine. It's cool. But if they start getting something that I want, and they start getting the attention that it's really mine, look out. I'm going to start sharing some stuff. It's true or not. It's totally irrelevant. To make sure that you don't think as well about this person is maybe you might start to be thinking you're going to be focused a little bit more on me. The other reason why people gossip, and this is the one that is the scariest to me, is they gossip out of uh, vengeance. Uh, 
busybodies. They might not really intend to hurt anybody, but this vengeance person, that's their goal. They feel like this other person has hurt them somehow, some way, and so it's, 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 their gossiping is a way to feel like they are in control in an out-of-control situation. They're able to inject some justice into the situation. And so they'll share, as it were, under the auspices of what people just know, need to know the truth. Well, if that was really the case, then go door to door and share with all the people who don't know the truth about Christ. The truth, they're not interested in people knowing the truth. They're interested in being justified and being vindicted and making sure justice happens here. Um, and I would guess, it doesn't matter where you are in the, in the, on the scale here. Uh, you have no problem with gossip whatsoever. It's a great, wonderful thing. But if somebody really hurts you and they get away with it, this is a place where all of us, that vampire thing can, can rise from the dead. Boy, where did that come from? Now, now, the scary thing is this is what Scripture says we're supposed to be about when that happens. In Romans 12, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends. And we would, the gossip would be verbal revenge. You know, we'd probably hit them if we could do it and not go to jail. But, but we can do the verbal revenge. So don't not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge and I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean that you're going to make his life miserable. And it's just kind of a, you know, a disguised way to hurt somebody. Um, that burning coals thing is really, they will burn with shame and they will come to repentance if there was repentance that needs and they will grow. The whole goal is for the restoration of the person who hurt you. That's kind of a unique thing for us, isn't it? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The vengeance. God says, listen, I'm God. I can do this better than you can. Trust me. Let me take care of the person you don't need to take care of them. And in the back of our minds, we're going, yeah. But God has also got mercy and justice and kindness and grace and that kind of thing going on. And I'm just afraid this person's going to get a little bit too much of that. And therefore, I've got to inject myself just to make sure that justice really happens. Even though it's not God's justice, just to make sure that that really happens. And God says, don't. And we might say, if we're here this morning and you've been hurt and, and this is right there for you, you might say, okay, I want to trust God with this, but I'm not sure how to do it. How do I do this? Here's our first principle. is gossip to God. Nobody else. Not even yourself. Problem with gossiping to ourself, we don't tell anybody else, but we tell ourselves over and over and over. What happens? You get angrier and angrier and angrier. You turn into all kinds of monsters with that one. And and it, it just gives you the ulcers and anxiety and stress because you're telling yourself this over and over and you're building this thing and you're not sure what to do with it. Here's here's the principle. Gossip to God. I I don't have this on the screen, but Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Listen to this. This is a choir director in church. David's choir director. He says, as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I almost fell, almost quit the whole shebang because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So I got that envy, jealousy thing going. These guys didn't deserve what was happening to them. Good things were happening to them and they didn't deserve it. And no one was calling them out. So they have no struggles. 
Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They're pulling the plug, doing all kinds of stuff and not getting caught. There's no consequences for it. I can't deal with this. It says they scoff and speak with malice. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. With their tongues, they take possession of the earth. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? They're ridiculing God. You know, any people like this, they're living like hellions, and it's paying off for them somehow. And this guy, he's working on a music person's in the church's salary, and he's going, this is not working for me. These guys, everything is working for them, and I'm trying to be righteous. And that's why he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. And then he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. This made no sense. This makes sense. These guys are getting away with everything. They're wicked. They're evil people. They're getting away with everything. But that, until, it made no sense, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He started to gossip to God about this. And if you notice, the pronouns suddenly shift. Suddenly in this psalm, it's now a prayer. Up to this point, he was talking to himself and getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Now he's talking to God about it. And he says, surely, God, you place them on slippery ground. You will cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they will be destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand and you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Yeah, these guys are getting their stuff on earth. Well, they're not going to get any stuff afterwards. Now, externally, nothing changed. These wicked, evil people were still rolling. Things were still happening. Things did not change. But the guy's heart, inside, radical shift. When he quit gossiping to himself or to others about these folk, but gossiped to God. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You'll destroy all the unfaithful to you. Lord, I'm letting the vengeance thing be yours. But as for me... It's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Gossiping to God, not to anybody else. First principle. Now, question, of course, is, okay, why do we want to do, do this again? I mean, okay, that, that, this is fine, but really, why do we want to not do this? Um, second principle is this. Gossip grieves God. Um, let's look at the verse. Ephesians 4.29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. Look at this. How should we control what we say? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who hear. If you want to gossip, God says, gossip to me. But when you talk to other people, what the filter needs to be is, will this be good for them to hear it? Will this be beneficial for them to hear it? What I'm saying, will that be good for them? 
If you need therapy, you go to God or go to your counselor. But we don't. We spread it out. Um, look what he says in this context. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If, in fact, we violate this, we grieve God. Now, parents, you have an adult child who's walked away from you or your values or the church or God. Uh, how often do you think about that? You think about that all the time, don't you? And when you think about that, is that a real fun experience? It's a terrible experience, isn't it? And you put your hands uh, up to your face and you sob and you bawl and you do everything you can to fix it and you just can't. You're going the wrong, you're grieving. On the other hand, parents, you've got an adult child who's flying. They're spiritually, they're, they're doing great, they're, they're responsible. How does that person make you feel? Well, now, you don't love one more than the other, but this makes you feel incredible and it's joy and it's wonderful. And God is saying when he looks at us and he looks at our mouths, Either he grieves when he sees us, a child that he's told, don't do that, don't go that way, but we're blowing him off going the other way anyway, or, or he rejoices. Gossip grieves God. It grieves God in, in several ways. First of all, it steals uh, reputations of other people. Uh, Exodus 20.16 is one of the Ten Commandments where it says, don't do this. I would say that all of the Ten Commandments deal with theft in one way or the other. But here it's stealing a person's reputation. You know, we don't try to do this per se, it just is we, unless we're in that vengeance category. But it just happens when we share things about other people. Even if you throw mud against a wall and it doesn't stick, it's still going to leave a spot. We're going to hurt people's reputations. Uh, number two. Is gossip creates division among his people. It creates division. Next slide, Proverbs 16, 28. It says, a perverse person steers up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. It's interesting that God would call the gossip a perverse person. Our speech that's gossip is perverted speech in God's mind. It's using speech not the way it's supposed to be used. And it separates gossip. That's what it does. I liked this person before we hung out together, but boy, I've heard some things about him. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, she and I worked together, and that was fun, but boy, I don't have heard some things, and I don't, I don't know. It creates division in the body. This is so huge to God. Jesus' very last prayer, John 17, was for one thing for the body, unity. If there's any question in our mind as to whether how God feels about this, Proverbs 6 it says that there are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are detestable to him. God's going to list out for us. You want to know what he hates? He's going to tell us right here. A haughty eyes, it's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community or who creates division in the community, it would say. Three out of those seven deal with the tongue. It's amazing to me. And God says, don't, when you gossip, you don't understand. You destroy the body. Your effectiveness as the body of Christ, witnessing to this world, is partially dependent on, if not mostly dependent on, your unity. And when you interject division for your own petty issues, you destroy the work that the body is supposed to do. That's why God hates it. Uh, the, I, verse, I don't have this on the screen. Second Corinthians 5, 9. It's a life verse. I, acquire, I try to reach it. I don't always do a very good job. But Paul says, 
this is my ambition or this is my goal, wherever I am in life, that I might please him. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do anything that's a list of stuff that ha- he hates. My, my goal is to please him. My goal is to please him. Next uh, reason why, and this is a fascinating reason, is that when we uh, engage in gossip, we invite satanic influence in our life. I don't know if you, you think about this. In Ephesians 4, Paul talking about our language, especially at this point, language that might be said out of anger. He said, don't do it, because if you do, you give Satan a foothold in your life. Now, what does that mean? I, I, I'm not so sure it means that you, if you gossip, you are possessed by the devil. But you have invited Satan's influence. You are listening to his voice. You're accepting it. You're hanging on. If you're buying what he says here, you know, you're going to buy what he says about other places too. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at messing up my life without Satan's involvement. I don't need this one on. I don't need to invite him in to, to help me. For the sake of my kids, I don't need Satan's involvement in my life. For the sake of the church, I don't need Satan's involvement in my life. Uh, when, when we decide to go this route, God says you are, you are, when you, disobedience always goes this way, you are playing on the devil's pr- playground and you cannot help but pick up some of his pals when you do it. I'm just telling you, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Fourthly, gossip destroys the life of the gossiper. Uh, uh, ultimately, it will come back and take you out. I think this is so ironic. We want sometimes when we're in the vengeance thing to say it to hurt the other person. But in the process, it hurts us. Stories told of a uh, pastor's wife many, many years ago out in the village. What she decided she would do is, is have chickens, get some chickens, raise chickens for their eggs. And so she, she did and, and would sell the eggs to the villagers. Well, the villagers thought, you know, for crying out loud, she's the pastor's wife, and and she should be a Christian and all. She should just give us the eggs or give them at a very reduced rate or something. But she held tight, said, no, pay up. If you want the eggs, pay up. Well, you can imagine the talk that went around. (sighs) She calls herself a Christian. She's only concerned about money. Her whole deal, she wants to, she wants to, she wants to fleece the flock is what she's trying to do. That's all we understand. And so and on and on and on and on it went. Well, once a month, this gal would gather up the money from the eggs and she would go to town and she would pass the bank and she would pass the store and she would turn into the children's home and she would give the money as a donation to the orphanage. And her, her husband said, honey, Everybody in town is talking about you in a bad way. If you would just tell them this, I think it would fix everything. And she said, no, because this is an act of worship between God and I. And if everybody else knows about it, I know my heart pride will get in. This is just going to be an act of worship between God and I. And if other folk need to sin, it's with their, that's between them and God. When we, when we gossip... Reality is, we don't know everything. We, we think we do, but we don't. We don't know motivations. We don't know what else is going on in their life, their heart, things that we would cut our friends slack for. We're not going to cut this person slack for at all. Uh, we, we don't know all the variables. We don't know. And that's why we say the safe 
or the absent are safe with me. The absent are safe with me. They're, they're safe with me because I don't want to invite hell's influence in my life. The absent are, are safe with me because I, I don't want to displease my God and do things that he hates. I, 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 the, the, the absent are safe with me because I gave him my soul and my eternity. And for granted out loud, I have to give him my mouth as well. My, my, the absent are safe with me because I trust him with people who, who've hurt me. That's, that's not for me. Forgiveness is, 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 is my deal. I, I want to, uh, the absent are safe with me because I want my words to benefit the kingdom and strengthen his people and not hurt them. I, the, the, the absent are safe with me because you know what? That's, that's how I would want to be treated. The absent are safe with me because I'm not going to be a vampire uh, Christian because I'm claiming my heart and my church, to my extent I can control it, as a vampire-free zone. Uh, so let me ask you, are the absent safe with you? They're not around, not to worry, man. I got your back. I'm not going to let anybody else say bad things. The absent are safe here. Is that, is that a commitment? You've given them your time. You've given them your soul. You've given them your eternity. Would you give them your mouth in that regard too? Boy, that's the, the, the challenge before us. So God, you know me and you, you, you know how easy when ooh, I'm just hanging out and the conversation will turn and I'll jump right in. Our desire, Lord, is to have mouths, words that are spoken that will build, that will benefit the other spiritually, that will bring people to you or will sharpen people or be used by you to disciple others, not that will be used to hurt or divide or drive people from you. 